Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcast. Four months ago, a column appeared in Newsweek arguing that it was time for America to panic. Quoting from the government scholar Robert Kagan, the author wrote that the United States is heading into its greatest political and constitutional crisis since the Civil War, with a reasonable chance over the next three to four years of incidents of mass violence, a breakdown of federal authority, and the division of the country into warring red and blue enclaves. And he went on to say that by spending most of its time dithering over a social spending bill rather than heading off the likelihood of a total meltdown of American democracy, our leaders were hearing the howls of the distant wolf pack louder than the bear at their doorstep. That author, of course, was me. And that's why when I saw that a powerful and respected Washington voice had published a detailed breakdown of how all of this is unfolding right before our eyes, and what we must start doing right now to stop it. I was so excited to bring him on to Beyond Politics. The voice behind that analysis is from Matt Bennett. He's the executive vice president at Third Way, a leading Washington, D.C. think tank that aims to develop fresh thinking and moderate ideas. Matt Bennett, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, I'm going to turn over the first question to former Congressman Paul Hodes. Matt, it, it, it is good to see you. I read the report, and it's a frightening document. So your report is called The Plot to Steal the Presidency, which you characterize as a systemic, sophisticated, and serious plot to execute a coup. And the report basically says it, this isn't some fringe effort. It's coming from the core of the Republican Party. Is is this really true? Is there truly a clear and present danger to our country coming from the core of the grand old party? You know, remarkably enough, Paul, it is true. And I think uh, for most of us who are close observers of politics, we would have guessed after January 6th of last year that the Republican Party would have uh, broken with Donald Trump and moved on from the chaos and the lies and the violence that he brought at the end of his presidency. And in fact, the opposite has happened. The corpus of the Republican Party, that is the elected officials at every level, from the U.S. Senate down to local level, and the party apparatus itself, the operatives and others, uh, have become entirely responsive to Trump. And you can name and count on one hand those leading Republicans who have not. And for the most part, they are being driven out of the party. So the party is in Trump's thrall. And what has happened is that unlike last time where there was a scramble on the part of the Trump forces after the election to try to prove falsely that it had been somehow falsified, that he had actually won. And that kind of ended up in farce. There was the famous press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping with Rudy Giuliani, right. and there were right. you know, these comical characters like Lynn Wood and others that say they're going to release the Kraken. All of that went nowhere because that was ridiculous. But now you have the entire Republican Party at every level in a concerted effort to prepare the ground to take away the election if they don't win it in 2024. So in your presentation, in your report, you break down the plot into five parts. One, suppressing the vote. Two, installing big lie vote counters. Three, threatening election officials. Four, seizing legislative control. And five, sabotaging the electoral college. So let's look at number one. 
You start by drawing a distinction. Now, the elections expert, Rick Hassan, calls it voter suppression versus election subversion, but you have a much more plain English version. It's restrictions on who can vote versus out and out vote theft. So what is this first part? Right. So the, the first thing that they do is they try to keep people who are likely to vote for Democrats from voting at all. And that's as old, unfortunately, that's as old as the country itself. We have always seen vote suppression. It is very uh, often been tied to race. And, you know, throughout our history, that has been the case. And that's happening again. There are uh, states in the South and elsewhere that are simply making it harder for people to vote. And they're doing it with a particular eye to keeping people who are likely to vote for Democrats from voting. For example, they have passed restrictions in places like Georgia voting on Sundays because they know that Black churches in the South often have a souls to the polls thing where they bring people to vote early on Sundays after church. So these are almost overt attempts to get people not to vote. But the rest, of the, so that's all terrible, but it's also very familiar. The rest of the plot is about actually changing the outcome of the election after people vote, which is to say either miscounting the votes or not counting certain votes. And that is new and much scarier. So, so the first part deals with something that we are familiar with. And if it was an isolated if it was an isolated attempt to suppress the vote, we'd be in the usual political ground of dealing with it and calling it out and and trying to elect people who who were going to deal with it and, and all that. But your report goes further, because in addition to merely restricting who can vote, the second part you talk about what's going on is installing big lie vote counters. I mean, the people who are actually counting the vote. And we, we know that Donald Trump's efforts to nullify the 2020 election was stopped mostly on the strength of Mike Pence's backbone. I mean, democracy rode on the back of Mike Pence, as well as the integrity of state election officials, many of whom were Republicans who, who, who did the right thing. The, the people who were responsible um, for the integrity of the elections, Republicans did the right thing. You start by focusing on the handful of statewide office holders, holders who, who actually did the right thing, saved us from the 2020 constitutional coup last time, and are now under threat. Exactly right. The, the very first thing that the Republicans are attempting to do as part of the vote theft is to purge what we call the apostates. That is to say, Republicans, to your point, who held offices that were involved in the counting and certification of the presidential, who did the right thing. And the most famous and obvious one is Brad Raffensperger, who is the Secretary of State of Georgia. And as we all know, because it was the core of the impeachment, Raffensperger received a call from the president and, and others, Lindsey Graham and others, urging him to find more than 11,000 votes for Trump that did not exist and to reverse the outcome of the election. That is out and out effort to steal the vote in Georgia. Raffensperger, to his great credit, despite the fact that he was a Trump supporter and says he voted for Trump, refused. Now he is being challenged in a Republican primary in 2022 by a far right congressman named Jody Heiss, who is a big lie proponent. Jody Heiss 
would have tried to find the 11,000 votes or pretended to find them and tried to reverse the certification. He has said that on CNN. He has, he has made that very clear. And that is happening all over the place at the state level, like with those guys, and at the county level, where you had very brave Republicans who were demanding that, who were standing firm against demands that they reverse the vote count in important counties in Michigan and elsewhere. And this is happening up and down the ballot. So their first effort is to push out the Republicans who are not going to uphold the big lie. Let me just follow quickly, follow up really quickly. In Georgia, the state's attorney general has now impaneled a special grand jury to examine what happened with the Trump calls. It's one of the places that Trump is at, shall we say, at least under pressure. Is that happening in, in other states? Are there, are there attorneys general who are making efforts to, to unmask and deal with whatever shenanigans may have been attempted? Because if, if, we, if we look at this as a conspiracy, whether an overt conspiracy in which people get together and say, here's what we're going to do, or a tax conspiracy in which they simply do the Ill various or attempt to do illegal things, are we seeing a coordinated effort of sort of right-thinking, constitutionally sound attorneys general and other justice officials who are making efforts to deal with what happened in Georgia? Well, the problem is that the answer is basically no. And the problem is that obviously the Georgia investigation is backward looking at what happened after 2020. Um, it was a very serious case. And, and I believe that Trump is guilty of, of a conspiracy to, to try to steal the election there. And he was president of the United States at the time. But that didn't happen in the exact same way elsewhere. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not aware of other investigations of the type looking back at 2020. And the problem is looking forward to 2024, the things they're doing now, at this moment at least, are not illegal. What they're trying to do is get their supporters, QAnon, big lie, you know, MAGA-hatted supporters, to run for offices at every level that are responsible for uh, administering the vote. So that in some states is secretary of state. In other states, that's county clerks. There are states where you actually run to, to be a vote administrator at the precinct level. That is to say the people who check you in when you come to vote and, and count the votes at the end. So they're just flooding into these uh, races and, and that's not illegal. So there's not much that, that the law can do to stop them at that point. Although, and I, I want to, I want press a little further on this point about the, the number of local election officials that are kind of being swept up in this coordinated effort to take over the election apparatus across the country. But just in terms of your point about how forward-looking all of this really is, I mean, there's an old, when you teach people how to write, the first thing you do is you say, all right, preview what you're going to say, and then say it, and then review what you just said. See, here's, here's what I just told you. Donald Trump is sort of famous for doing this in terms of his crimes. He says out loud, I mean, in the run up to the 2020 election, he's like, we are, this, there's going to be a big steal. It's, it's all rigged and we're going to fight this. I mean, he, he calls out his shot. We actually had an author on this show who wrote a book, Will He Go? And he, he, he previewed everything that Donald Trump was going to say. And indeed, that's what Donald Trump said. Then now, we now know that he did all of these things in coordination with some of these kooky characters. And then after the fact, 
He goes and reviews, hey, here's what I just did. So when you look at people like Jody Heiss, who are now doing the same thing and saying, next time around, I'm going to do this. I suggest, and I think your report suggests, we should believe them. They're previewing what's going to happen next time. And I know that one of the reasons that we didn't ultimately convict Donald Trump in the impeachment was, well, he didn't come right out and say to the president of Ukraine, hey, let's do a crime here. I, I want to do a crime. But he, he almost did. And with the elections, that's pretty much what these replacement officials are saying is next time around, I'm going to do this. We're going to have a coup. They are. And, and in some cases, they're doing it very ham-handedly in, in ways that are uh, both kind of clownish, but also quite terrifying. Just this week, a video emerged from Michigan where there was some kind of gathering of Republicans and two candidates for office, one running for state Senate in Michigan, and that matters a lot. The state legislatures, as we'll get to, matter a lot. And then another candidate for governor of Michigan. And they were asked what to do if the poll workers suspected that there was, you know, shenanigans going on of the type that the big lie keeps saying had happened. And one of them said, just unplug the machines, don't allow people to vote. And the other said, bring your gun and use your gun. I mean, this is what, and this is on video, it's circulating widely on social media. That's a guy running for governor. And, and those people have a shot at winning. And so they're very blunt about it, but there's others, to your point, who are simply saying, look, we don't believe that the election was fair last time. We're going to make sure it's fair next time. And one can only imagine what that means if they're in offices that really matter, like governor of Arizona, secretary of state of Georgia, attorney general of Michigan. Or to your earlier point, if they're local election officials who are hell-bent on doing whatever it takes to put Trump back in office. And we actually got some data on this just this week from the Politico Morning Consult poll, which found that almost a third of Republicans would have been just fine with the scenario that we, we just found out about, where the military came in to seize voting machines. This was, this was a, a scheme that was afoot inside the White House. We now know that. That's just come to light. And these are the people, about one third of Republican voters say, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. The military would come in. And to your, to your earlier point, I want to circle back to it. There is a coordinated effort to bring these folks in to run the, the machinery of local elections. How pervasive is this? How, how much of our local elections framework has been taken over by big lie proponents? Yeah, this is the thing I think that has gotten the least amount of attention and is perhaps the most uh, threatening to, the, to our democracy. Steve Bannon, of course, uh, one of Trump's top deputies, and Charlie Kirk, who runs Turning Point USA, and Mike Flynn, who the convicted felon who was Trump's national security advisor, all have gigantic followings on social media, enormous. Bannon's show has been downloaded 100 million times. Almost uh, as much as ours. Exactly. And, and they have been beating a drum relentlessly for months, asking their supporters and followers to sign up as precinct workers. That is not to say Republicans who stand outside the polls with signs that say Trump and hand out sample ballots to people going in. That's a whole different thing. These are the people who actually work inside the polling place where you hand your ID if, if that's the law in your state or you, you sign in, they give you the ballot, they check you out, they hand you the I voted sticker, those people. ProPublica did a study after, after Bannon had been doing this for months of 
65 counties in 10 swing states, the, the obvious ones, Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera. New Hampshire is on the list, of course. And uh, they looked at just 65 counties. And in those 65 counties, and this was back in October, I believe, in November, already 8,500 people had responded to Bannon's call and signed up as precinct workers. 8,565 counties. So God knows how many there are in all of the counties in the swing states. But they are flooding into the to the polling places to be administering the vote. And this is especially scary because in the age of COVID, the people who normally administer the vote tend to be retirees, and they've been very reluctant to do it. So there is a great need to fill those spots, but unfortunately, they're being filled by big lie proponents. And I mean, just to just to kind of play the movie of that. One of the things that that, you know, Paul, you're super familiar with this. You're not only an attorney, but you've been a congressman. Sounds like the hair club for men. You 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 have also been, you know, use the hair club for men. (laughs) Well, you you and me both. I mean, it's this is this is a very real thing. When you go into an election as a as a campaign, you prepare for this. You organize a cadre of attorneys who are on call and available to monitor what's going on in the polling places so that you can petition a court if need be, or you can, you can contact the secretary of state. And, and, you know, so you could see all kinds of shenanigans happening. I'm not speculating here. I mean, this actually happens in every election. There are efforts at local levels to try to mess with the vote and the ability of individual voters. Maybe you don't like the cut of their jib or the color of their skin, perhaps. And, you know, you make it more difficult for them to vote. And what is your source of redress if you see that happening? Well, you've, you've got to petition a court, you've got to call the Secretary of State. And if this is happening absolutely everywhere, it's a flood the zone strategy, right? That then means that your, your avenue of redress is calling a Secretary of State who may have been replaced by a big lie Republican. So Matt, let me let me just quickly summarize and say that in talking about this serious, coordinated, sophisticated effort coming from the core of the Republican Party to to stage a coup in 2024, the first two uh, points of the coup, the, the first two points of the plot are perfectly legal, suppressing the vote and getting people to run for office. That, that's America. The third thing you point out, though, is a coordinated effort to threaten local election officials who haven't yet been replaced by big lie Republicans. And we've seen we've seen violence in this country around around these efforts. We saw it in Michigan, which looked like a run up to the big one on January 6th. The calls for violence, the calls for intimidation, the calls for the use of weapons have not slowed as you point out, they have expanded and accelerated and threats of violence have been directed at local officials. Now, that takes this out of the legal efforts into potential illegality. What are we seeing? Well, we're seeing a mix of things that are right on the line of legality and things that are over the line, but all of them have had a real impact. And the threats really break down into three buckets. The first is partisan threats. That is being done by people showing up at the poll, not the workers at the polls we discussed earlier, but these are people outside the polls who are there to intimidate, to intimidate voters, but also to intimidate poll workers. 
Republicans couldn't do this for 30 years because they had done it so thuggishly that the Justice Department brought them to court and they ended up, the, the Republican National Committee signed a consent decree not to send people to the polls to intimidate for 30 years. Unfortunately, that consent decree expired in 2018. And what we saw that year and again in 2020 and in 2021 in Virginia is Republicans sending you know, militia members and uh, current and former uh, military members and, and soldiers and others to come to the polls and intimidate the poll workers and make sure that they know they're being watched. Often this happens armed. The second is legal threats. There is a sheriff in Wisconsin who has uh, been trying to bring felony charges against the members of the Wisconsin board that governs elections because they gave instructions to poll workers about how to run an election during COVID. Now that sounds insane because it is, but- That's crazy. That, that's totally crazy. crazy. That's, that's crazy, okay? That's His theory, is that these that that board had violated the law because of the things that it was telling the poll workers were not in the exact print coming from the state legislature because under the constitution the state legislature can set the time place and manner of election and there is one interpretation of the constitution that says anything that isn't directly from the state legislature is therefore illegal and not only is this crazy sheriff want to bring the charges the Senate majority leader of the state agrees with him. So the second set of threats are legal and that's happening in other places as well. And then the third is of course violence, not only the violence that we saw on January 6th, violent threats being directed at people like Governor Whitmer in Michigan, who had a whole plot by the Oath Keepers and others to kidnap her, but also violence and threats directed against the people at the local level who are running elections. And this is profoundly terrifying for those people because they don't have security like a governor does. They don't have a high profile to, to bring this out into public. This is just happening over and over. And uh, again, there have been investigations by media into this and the numbers are stunning. The amount of this kind of uh, pressure that people are facing is, is enormous. Is it happening on social media? Is it happening in, in on on broadcast media? Is it happening person to person? I mean, is it you know are, are people visiting the homes of poll workers and throwing Molotov cocktails? I mean, how 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 widespread, how diverse, how pervasive is this? It's happening everywhere on everything. Social media, mainstream media, it's happening directly. People are getting texts and calls. Their children are being followed. There's a state senator, I believe, I can't remember if it's Michigan or Wisconsin, who just last week had people outside his home for days, you know, calling him a Nazi, despite the fact that he's Jewish, and, and claiming that he was involved in stealing the election. So this is not only, these threats are mostly based on the big lie of 2020, but obviously they're setting the predicate for 2024 because they're trying to intimidate poll workers into believing that if they don't find somehow enough votes for the Republicans running in 2024, that they will be in danger. Well, you, you alluded a moment ago to the importance of control at the state level and the importance of state legislators, state senators. And that actually leads right into your, the fourth part of the plot that you lay out in your report and your presentation, which is seizing legislative control. And I think there's been some confusion on this point. When Democrats point out everything that these legislatures have already done 
to suppress or steal the vote or to set up the conditions to overturn the election. Next time, Republicans respond by saying, well, a lot of those bills were just introduced. They were never passed, so it's fine. And that sounds a lot like the defense that attempted murder. It's not a real crime because, hey, no murder occurred. You point out that even the Republican-controlled legislatures that haven't yet taken terrible overt actions have the means, the motive, and the opportunity to do so. And it could really happen. So what did you find in creating your report? Right. So as I noted, state legislatures under the Constitution have a lot of power about how elections are run. They actually have the power to name presidential electors themselves. They don't have to have a vote in a given state. The state legislature could just say, we decide Donald Trump gets all of our electors. Now, no state has done that since the 18th century. And that would be a totally insane thing to do. And I don't think we're going to see that. But what we could see is states attempting at the front end to ensure that their chosen candidate does better. Uh, and there are ways of doing that. Or at the back end, throwing out a vote that they don't like. What has happened is in states like Georgia, where they control the legislature and they have the governor, they actually have passed laws that that take power away from state officials like Brad Raffensperger and county officials and give it to the legislature. They've established a committee run by the legislature that reports to the legislature that now will decide how elections are run in certain counties like, oh, by the way, Fulton County, which is Atlanta, which is obviously a very strong democratic uh, center and where lots of African-American voters live. That is happening in Georgia already. There are other states where the Republicans control the legislature, but not yet the state house, which is the governorship, and their bills ready to go in those places if they get it. And they're in 2022, the governors uh, are up in basically all of the swing states, and Republicans could pick up some, and that could be very, very dangerous. Keep in mind that if you think about the 10 states that are generally at the moment regarded as swing states in presidential politics, Every single one of them, in every single one of them, Republicans control both houses of the legislature. And in half of them, they currently have the governorship and they could get more. So the, the, the last part of the report, part five, is about sabotaging the Electoral College. Now, uh, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, about our, our, our scheme for, for electing presidents and, and, and whether or not the Electoral College works or doesn't work and should it stay or should it be changed or should we get rid of it? So there's a lot of that kind of discussion. But also, at this point, many of us have heard about the Electoral Count Act of 1887 and the scheme to use the clearly big holes in that law to stage the 2020 coup attempt. And in fact, just in the week or so since you published your report, we've learned a lot more about the details about how far the sabotage went, including an unsigned executive order, but one which was likely reviewed by Trump, discussed by Trump with his cabal and his co-conspirators about getting the military involved, including to steal voting, to, to seize voting machines. So we don't know exactly how far that kind of effort went or exactly how it was stopped. That, in, you know, that, that kind of evidence is likely going to come out in the coming weeks. But 
what could a full-on sabotage effort look like in terms of sabotaging the Electoral College? Right. So the for all of their genius, the founders set up a system of electing presidents that is kind of crazy, and we have to live with it. The way it works, of course, is people go to vote in their state. The winner of the popular vote in their state wins all of the electoral votes in most states. In, in two, it's divided. But uh, in most states, the winner gets the electoral votes. There is a completely ceremonial pro forma meeting of the electoral college, their electoral college voters in the, in the state at the state capitol on a given day. It happens same everywhere. And they, 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 they vote for the chosen candidate. The, the governor of the state certifies that vote. It is sent to Congress. And then there's this formal meeting of Congress. It's the new Congress. People have just been sworn in after the election in November. It's on January 6th. And they, they open the votes and the vice president literally physically opens the votes. They count them and then they declare the winner. It's always been entirely ceremonial. There've been many times when the vice president has had to declare himself the loser of that election. My old boss, Al Gore, had to do it in 2000. Unfortunately, there are many ways in which that process can be manipulated by bad actors. One way that it can't be manipulated is the one that Trump tried, which is to have the vice president do something. The vice president has no power to do anything. So, and by the way, obviously in 2024, the vice president will be Kamala Harris. She's not going to try to overturn the election. That's not the thing. The thing is that uh, Congress has a lot of power to decide whether or not to count certain electoral votes. And this could happen in a couple of ways. So let's say Michigan voters vote for Joe Biden. Let's say it's Biden against Trump in 2024, and the voters in Michigan vote for, for Biden again. And the electors meet, and they vote for Biden, and it goes to the governor, and she, she certifies the election, and it, and it goes. You could see the Michigan legislature run by Republicans say, no, that vote wasn't fair. They, you know, violated the rules that we set forth because they kept polling places open an hour later because the, there were long lines, or they could make up some excuse about how it was done improperly. The election had failed, and then they sent their own slate of electors to Congress. So you end up with two slates of Michigan electors. Well, Congress could do, if it's controlled by Republicans, could do any number of things. They could throw out Michigan entirely and say we're not going to count Michigan. If that happens in a close election it's possible that neither candidate gets 270 electoral votes, which you need to win. And then under the constitution, the house decides by delegation and the Republican would win, which is to say, not every house member gets a vote. Every delegation gets a vote. There are 50 votes and Republicans are almost certain to win that vote. The other thing they could do is count the legislators electors and not the real electors. So there are many ways that they could manipulate the system uh, in my view, illegally and unconstitutionally, but it is very possible for them to steal the vote at the last second. Not the way Trump wanted to. He was wrong about that. And he didn't have control of Congress, but, but in this new way. Well, and of course, once again, this is a case where we've seen the preview of this. We, we know what the playbook is because right. they did it. And in many cases, they filmed it, right? There were these fake slates of electors. Yeah. We don't know yeah, exactly how that was coordinated, but it seems to have been coordinated because they all used the same form that was photocopied from the same place. And so there was there was already a coordinated plot to put fake Matt, do we, do, in place. Do we know where that form came from? Who 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 devised it? Who emanated it? Who, don't con know who controlled that effort? Because we're just beginning now to subpoena 
those people at the January 6th committee, as I recall, to find out what was involved in that apparently coordinated attempt. As you say, we, we don't have to wait for the movie. The script has been written and was, was tried to a significant extent. It just didn't get very far in 2020. Right, and, and exactly. And look at Arizona, which is one of the scarier places. Arizona legislature is controlled by Republicans. That is not going to change. The Arizona governor is a Republican, Doug Ducey, but he did the right thing. He is he was a Trump supporter, but he he certified the election as he was as he had to and did the right thing in 2020. He is term limited and running for Trump has gone after him uh, hammer and tongs because he refused to steal the election for him, but that's a whole different conversation. The person running uh, for governor who is likely to win the Republican nomination is a big liar. And she's probably going to win the election because Arizona is fundamentally a red state, and, or at least a Republican state. And if she does, and Arizona's legislature and governor and secretary of state are all in the control of big liars, one can only imagine what will happen next time where you don't have a, a decent person like Doug Ducey at the top saying, no, I am not going to steal this election for Donald Trump. You have somebody who's willing to do it. And that could happen in a bunch of these swing states. Well, so we have to turn to the part of the report where you lay out what we can do about all of this, because this is the most important part in my mind. I think putting some meat on the bones and really painting the picture for people of just at, at, at what a detailed coordinated level all of this is happening is incredibly important because we need to stoke a sense of urgency in the public and certainly among the Democratic Party, which I think is your is your aim here. But you also lay out a blueprint for what we can do about this. And you say that we need to run not just one campaign, but two. So what do you mean by that? What does it involve? Well, obviously, well, there's going to be a presidential campaign of the normal type. The likelihood at the moment is that it's a reelect for President Biden and Vice President Harris. That will happen. That campaign will cost a billion dollars, as modern campaigns for president do, and that will proceed as it should and normally does. And the intent of that campaign is to win more votes. But we have to make sure that if they win more votes and more uh, electoral votes, that those votes are counted. That is to say that the election isn't stolen in all the ways we've discussed. So what we're calling for is a parallel campaign that is just as big, just as sophisticated, just as well-funded, that isn't intended to win votes for Biden and Harris, but is rather intended to fight back against all of these threats that we've discussed. And the problem is that that will have to be a very multifaceted operation. It probably can't be the same kind of hierarchical campaign that you would see for president. There's not going to be a campaign manager and, and you know, underlings. I think what, instead you'll have a, a constellation of groups that are working on this already and some that are coming into the space now that get together and try to do this in a, in a relatively coordinated fashion. But we have got to make clear to the, not only to the big D democratic establishment, which is to say, you know, people like me and Paul and others, but, but to the small D Democrats out there who believe in democracy, that we have got to have a thing that's just as big and just as well financed and just as urgent as a presidential campaign. And it needs to start three months ago. I mean, you need, we need to be doing it right now because we are behind. And there, you said there are four parts to it. Right. So we have to do a whole bunch of things. The first thing we have to do is pass federal legislation. There are two types of federal bills that are being debated now. 
The one that's got the, the type that's gotten all the attention are two bills, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Act, both that go to vote suppression, the thing we talked about at the top where people are being kept from the polls. Those are super important, but those are very much stalled. Republicans have filibustered. As we all know, Senator Sinema is unwilling to break the filibuster to do this. And so it is very unlikely that those bills are going to move. However, there is another track of, of bills that are very important that have to do with fixing the Electoral Count Act, the thing we talked about at the end. That isn't going to be the silver bullet to cure all of the problems, but it would really help keep them from stealing the election on January 6th when they count the votes in Congress. That is a very important thing. Uh, Senator Shaheen and others are very much involved in these negotiations, and we are strongly supportive of that. They'll need 10 Senate Republicans to vote for it because it can't, it, you know, the, if it's filibustered, it won't move. But I think that that is a real possibility. So first is, is federal intervention. The second is we have got to win some of these elections that are happening in both 2022 and 2023. And actually in 2024, those could matter as well at the state, local, and federal level. We've got to make, if we can, we really need to make sure Democrats are in control of the House in 2020 on January 6, 2025, so that the steal can't happen then. That, that's a long shot at the moment. But we got to do that. We got to elect federal officials. But we also have to win the governor's races in the swing states. We got to win some of these secretary of state races. And by we, I don't necessarily mean Democrats. If Brad Raffensperger can beat Jody Heiss in the Georgia secretary of state's race, that would really help protect democracy. And you know, those are both Republicans. And that's a state that is unlikely to elect a Democrat. The third thing we got to do is make sure that we are ensuring that we have enough poll workers who believe in democracy. They don't have to be Democrats. It doesn't matter what their party is. It doesn't matter who they vote for themselves. They just have to believe that the way that we run elections ought to be that we count the votes that are cast and award those votes to the winner and, and uh, you know, the, or the winner, the votes that they want. And as long as they're willing to do that, the way that we all believe democracy should work, then that's great. But, but they got to replace these big liars that are flooding in. And then the final thing is we've got to support the array of groups that are doing grassroots mobilization, they're doing litigation that Paul was talking about to, to ensure that the courts aren't going to help the Republicans steal the election, and that they're doing uh, democracy promotion more generally. Those are the four big pillars, but there's other things as well. And if there were sort of one message that you really wanted to get across, obviously, I, I sort of summarized it as urgency, like this is real. And we have to pay attention to it. And it's time to act, as you say, three months ago. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's the answer. But if there's one thing that you really want to get across to all of our listeners as we, as we look to wrap up the show here, what is it? What is it that they should pay attention to? And what is it that they individually should do? It really is urgency. We're calling this a Paul Revere moment for, for democracy. People need to wake up. And the, the thing that you really have to wrap your mind around is that this is not what you saw play out in 2020. This is not Rudy Giuliani and the clown car. This is really serious. These are, these are people who know what they're doing. They're well-financed and they are moving fast. And if we don't have a two-scale serious effort to push back, then we are gonna lose our democracy and it's gonna happen in real time in three years. 
we're going to be living in a country that is unrecognizable unless we push back very hard. And I just I just want to say that one of the key things you've talked about is that this needs to be a bipartisan effort. This is not purely for the Democratic Party to run. This needs to be Republicans, what I call Republicans of conscience. And we've had a number of guests on our show who 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 fit that bill but we need a bipartisan pushback effort so so the effort the the four steps that you talk about really have to be uh, among americans who care about democracy who care about the constitution who care about this country and who care more deeply about our democracy than they do about partisan politics because the threats you outline are so serious and the plot is so clearly nefarious and coordinated that it will take all of us. The report is The Plot to Steal the Presidency. It's from Third Way Executive Vice President Matt Bennett. You can check it out on the thirdway.org website. And of course, we hope that you will subscribe to Beyond Politics and check out the video where you can see this entire presentation unfold as we discuss it. Matt Bennett, thanks so much for being on Beyond Politics. Thanks for having me.